Satirist and social commentator George Bernard Shaw said this. He said, perhaps the greatest single social service that can be rendered by anybody to this country, this society, and to humankind is to bring up a family. Pastor Dave told us that you were in this series, Ideal Family, speaking about families. And as he said, there is no true ideal family. But we're thinking, what is a family? So what is, what is a family? Well, a family is the most basic building block, the most basic structure of all of culture and society. Of God's plan for us on this earth to be a part of a family on this earth and a part of his family. And the marriage relationship is the cornerstone or the foundation of the family unit. So today we're going to focus on that marriage relationship. Now that does not mean or imply that people who are not married are somehow incomplete. After all, we're all created in the image of God and we all bring glory to God when we yield ourselves to his plan for our life. After all, Jesus was single and he brought the most glory to God of all. So this message is not just for married people. It's for anybody. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're contemplating marriage, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a co-worker, it doesn't matter. If you're in any kind of relationship whatsoever, and we all are, we really believe this message is relevant for all of us. When preparing for this message, Amy and I were, were thinking, what, what did God really want us to portray that he wanted us to get across? And how would he have us share his love of relationships, marriage, and family? So we were in prayer and meditating on it, and God spoke to me, and he said, well, it's real simple, Scott. And it's the most basic idea, plan, or solution to all relationships. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. When we think about the scripture, um, we know that Jesus came to a time when he was being questioned by these individuals called the Sadducees. These were the religious leaders of the time. They were the uh, movers and shakers of that era. And they came to him and they were trying to trick him. And they said, Rabbi, what is the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, that's easy. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he went on to say, and the second is just like it. But what's interesting is they never asked him what the second one was. They only asked him what the first commandment was. But he told them what the second one was as well. He said the second one is just like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was saying here is, hey, to love individuals, to love other people, to love your spouse, your husband, your wife, your children, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, sometimes even the people that are hard to love is as important as loving God. So with that uh, said, and with the importance established about just relationships in general, I think we can move on. So what is the purpose for marriage? Why does God call us into relationships, ma marriage, family? 
Scott and I have the honor and privilege of performing most of the premarital and marriage counseling at Riverside, and we teach on three main purposes for marriage. One purpose is for a husband and wife to complete or to complement each other, for a husband and wife together to be more powerful for their family, their community, and for the kingdom than they could ever be apart. A second purpose is to multiply a godly legacy, to have children, to be fruitful. But the third purpose and the most vital purpose for marriage is to mirror God's image to the world. See, mysteriously, God chose a husband and a wife and the marriage relationship to mirror his image to humankind. And see, in this marriage, we can demonstrate a portion of God's love, his grace, his forgiveness, his commitment, his long-suffering to his people. For example, when couples fight, when we get mad at our children and we need to apologize, we model God's grace to one another. And the fact is that grace saved us, so it's going to save relationships and marriages and families. So what is, how do we accomplish this? How do we mirror God's image through our marriage relationship and to the world? But first, I have another question, a simple question that's been debated and argued for centuries. What came first, the chicken or the egg? So I would like everyone to hold on to that question, and we will return to it. Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? So as Amy was saying, there's these three purposes for marriage. But there's this one that's the most vital, and that's this idea of mirroring God's image to the world. See, the marriage relationship and our relationships in general is the greatest way we can glorify God. It's our first act of worship. So again, how do we do this? How do we mirror God's image to the world through our marriage relationship? Well, for everyone taking notes, there's one answer. Submit to one another in love. I believe Pastor David spoke about this concept of submitting to one another last week to everybody. Let's take a look at Ephesians. The scripture is titled, Walking in Love. And this is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved him and given himself for us, as a fragrant offering and a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 19 to 21 goes on to say this. Be filled with the spirit and addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the father and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. In other words, out of my love for Jesus, I submit to my wife. So in other words, and out of my love for Jesus, I submit to my husband. So I know that Pastor Dave spoke about last week um, about submission, but we would like to go a little deeper with that. And we sit with couples day in and day out, and um, we often see patterns in these relationships. And we would like to discuss a couple of these patterns today with you guys. Um, so what does submitting to one another actually look like? Wow, that's a great question, Amy. Um, let's discuss that word submit first. I think that's where we get hung up sometimes. Just that word submit can produce a lot of emotions. 
and quite often negative emotions. Um, what we're not talking about here is control and domination. Or intimidation or manipulation. What we are talking about here is a loving submission of one of the spirit to one another. Um, see, we as humans, we struggle with that word submit. And, and I truly believe the reason why we struggle with that word is because God created us to be free. When we think about it, God valued freedom so much that he was willing to give us all freedom to make any choice in our life we want, knowing that some of us would perish having that freedom. But that's how important it was to him. But the word does say submit to one another. So how do we reconcile these two words, submit and freedom? You see, the issue is that for men and for women to submit to one another, there's a sense of losing yourself, giving yourself up, uh, somehow uh, losing your opinion, becoming invisible. You see, for men, God created us to, to desire this feeling of, of, of being in authority, being in control, being a man, having it together, being a leader, being confident. And, and for men, often when we hear that word, well, submitting to my wife, wow, that somehow means I become emasculated. I lose my manhood. I, I lose who I am as a leader in the family. For a woman, it's often a feeling of being oppressed, of somehow being controlled, losing their freedom, losing their spirit of who God created them to be. Women have fought way too much, way too hard to move backwards. So that just the word submit to both men and women conjure up these negative feelings. But that's all a lie from hell. That the devil's been using for centuries to pit men and women against one another. It's a lie. The truth is that submitting to one another in our spirits is actually very freeing. I think we can all agree that God is spirit and that we are spirit. See, we all have these bodies and these bodies are different. Some are tall, some are short, uh, and they all need different things. We all need different nutrition, different exercise, different rest for our bodies. But all bodies have one spirit and all spirits need just two things. To love and to be loved. To matter. So God wants us to, to, to submit our spirits to one another. You see, what I mean is, is if you're a Christian and God dwells within you, when we submit to one another lovingly, we are actually not submitting to one another, but we're submitting to the spirit of God himself. It's actually God we're submitting to. This actually happens in more of a physical terms of how we treat one another, how we relate to one another. And it's different for men and for women. In Genesis, God spoke about this difference between men and women. God said in Genesis 1.27, he said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, that indicates that while God is the father, his very nature is both male and female. And that while we are to submit in spirit... That are, it, what it is, is it's actually different for males and females as to how we submit to one another. Yes, 
typically men desire and revere unconditional love, respect, honor, to feel that they're competent leaders, that they're capable, that their wives trust them, they believe in them, um, and desire them physically. While women typically desire and revere unconditional love as well as sacrificial love, respect, kindness, tenderness, to feel that they do come first and to be desired relationally. So husbands, husbands, submit to your wives. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow. So husbands, what does this mean to give ourselves for our wives? To give ourselves up for her. You see, if we think about Jesus, Jesus was what is called the bridegroom. He was the groom of the church. And who was the church? Who was his bride? All of us. And who killed Jesus? We did. His church, his bride. His own bride lied about him, sold him for some silver, tortured him, Drugging through the streets and nailed him to a cross on a hill. And still, he looked to his father and said, forgive her. Forgive her. That's true sacrifice. As a husband. Women have this innate desire. They just do that God created in them. To feel safe, secure, loved. And to know that their husbands will sacrifice for them. The way Christ sacrificed for the church. To give it all up for them. See, I had this wonderful opportunity <laughs> to try this when we first met. I, um, we'd been married, I think, yeah, maybe a year or so. And um, I had heard about these expeditions that the Bennett family had been on. My wife comes from the Bennett family. And I'd heard about these expeditions that the family would go on, the ladies in the, in the family. And I thought, okay. And my wife said, hey, you want to go on one of these expeditions? And her sister said, yeah, you want to go on with us? I said, sure. They said, we're going to Ohio on an expedition. I said, hey, I'm in. <laughs> I'm thinking fishing, hunting. We're going to do something great. It's going to be fun. So me, my wife, and my sister-in-law, we all packed up and drove out to Ohio and met my wife's aunt out there to go on this expedition. I found myself in a mall. It was not a fishing expedition. It was a shopping expedition. In a huge mall in a store called Dillard's. And if any of you ladies, I imagine you ladies know the store, you men, be afraid of that store. Be very afraid. I've never seen anything like it. It was football fields of clothes of every color and rows after rows after rows. It was like endless rows of corn. And so we come in and, and, and my wife, she says, well, hey, go do something, you know, go over there. We're going to go over here and do some shopping. And I found myself over against the wall, looking around, and I seen another guy there, and he's standing there too, and his eyes are like this. I said, 
How long have you been here, man? He said, three hours. Three hours? That's a football game. I could be home watching football. He was just terrified. And as I looked out there amongst all the clothes, I'd see these women just running up and down the aisles. And I see my wife over here and my aunt over here and my sister-in-law over here. And they're raising up these clothes like men would raise up their kill if they went out hunting. And they were echoing each other. Like a, like a Viking horn. Come! And they, oh, look at this. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. They found me four hours later in an Aunt Annie's pretzel factory shop. And to this day, I still have nightmares about that day. But you see, that was my sacrifice to my wife. That was what she desired. That's what the Spirit of God in here desired. She desired to do that. And that day, I was able to sacrifice and give it up for her. And I didn't lose my manhood. I didn't lose who I was. I just sacrificed. But she needs to know that. It blessed her spirit. She does not always need to see me physically sacrifice like that. But one thing she does need to know, she needs to know that I will. She needs to know. Many times she says, I just need to know you will do that for me. That means everything to me. I've sat down with many husbands over the years of counseling that have been in tremendous turmoil with their wives. And I've asked many of these men this question. I've said, if you left this counseling session today and you and your wife were heading across the parking lot and a man came up and started cursing your wife or, God forbid, tried to get physical with your wife or attack her, what would you do? And they all have said the same thing. Well, I'd I'd protect her. (laughs) I'd fight him off. I'd, I'd give my life for my wife. But still, they're in tremendous turmoil. You see, the problem is, is that often us husbands will protect our wives from everybody else but us. God told me some time ago, he said, Scott, that's the issue for all of you men. Sometimes you won't protect your wives against yourselves. And you're the enemy. My wife likes to know that, though, that I will sacrifice for her and... Just as I got it right at Dillard's that day when we first got married, I had the opportunity to be tested again in that 10 years later, and I got it wrong. And this one hurt more. Like I said, we counsel at Riverside Church, and quite often on Mondays, I, I spend a lot of time there. And I was working about 10 hours that day, and Amy had been home early, and she was... Works all day as well. She was cooking and cleaning, working on the house, and children were running around. And she had just lost her uncle, what, a week? A week or so before that. Uh, a, a loving man that we lost from the family who we all admired and just absolutely adored. So she was grieving at the time. She texted me as I was heading across the bridge there, going up 24 into Washington. And I often talk about, we talk about in counseling, that we often find ourselves at these whys in life or in our marriage. And there's only two ways to go in a why. And one way is God's way, and we know who the other way is. And I was at that literal why in my life as my wife texted me. She said, would you mind running down to Panera and grabbing me a cranberry blitz bar? It's one of these little cranberry bars with frosting on them. She loves those. 
And so there I was at this literal Y where I needed to take 116 to go down to Panera and get her that or go straight up the hill. So I was looking at my text and I thought, I've been working all day. Ten hours. How dare she ask me to get her cranberry blitz? It's almost nine o'clock at night. So I closed my phone. I just put it down. I don't text when I'm driving. But I went straight up that hill. And that wasn't God's path. And I got home that night, and uh, she was standing there. And uh, I walked in, and she was real smiling and happy to see me, and just full of. And she said, Hey, honey, how you doing? Love you. She said, Do you got my cranberry blitz? I said, No, I don't have your cranberry blitz. And I got mad just like that. I was irritated. And I could see just all the wind just go out of her right then, just right out of her sail. And she walked away and went into the bedroom and she came back out with her coat on. And I said, what, what are you doing? Where are you going? She goes, I'm just going to run to the store to grab me a candy bar. I just need a little chocolate. I need, I need some sugar. <clears throat> and so I got even madder. I said, no, no, I'm going to Panera. <laughs> she goes, no, you don't have to go to Panera. Just go up to the store and get me candy. I said, no, I'm going to Panera. Slammed the door and went out. Went down to Panera. Yeah. Didn't get her one cranberry blitz. I got her two, gentlemen. <laughs> two. I'm going to show her. So I took those home, a little bag, and I got in the house. Took it and sat it on the table. I said, there's your cranberry blitz. You guys think she ate them? Oh, she ate them. <laughs> no, no, no. No, she... You ladies with me here? No? She ate them. Oh, yeah. But she might as well have been eating ashes. She might as well have been eating ashes. Because it didn't mean anything then. It didn't mean anything at that point. And we struggled that night. And we went to bed with a fog over our marriage and over our relationship. And I was upset and she was hurt. And I woke up the next morning and I was having some time with, uh, with God. And, he, and um, I said, God, I don't understand her, Jesus. I don't understand this woman. You know, I work and here she's asking me to do this and that for her. Get her this cranberry blitz. And Jesus spoke to me. And he said, Scott, that cranberry blitz wasn't for her. That was for me. You see, I know the story. In the garden before the night, before Jesus went to the cross, he asked his father, can we do this another way? But his father said, no, there is no other way. So Jesus went to the cross for me. For when I lie, for when I cheat, for when I'm angry when I'm prideful and arrogant. He gave it all for me, for my sin. And he asked me to give it for my wife. And I couldn't that night. But I learned a valuable lesson that night. Ask her how many cranberry blitz she's had since. (laughs) So, you see... True Christ-like leadership isn't from the top down. It's not 
men being served by everybody else. It's not about me being on the top and everybody else being below me serving me. But rather, sometimes, maybe a lot of the times, me on the bottom. To be a true Christ-like leader is to provide support, encouragement, and love for everyone else in your life so they can rise up and become what God has called them to be. As I said, true Christ-like leadership is not top-down. It's bottom-up. So wives... Submit to your husbands. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. See, your husbands are your earthly saviors. We need to honor them, make them feel this way. By nature, men want to feel like a rescuer. So how can we make them feel like they can rescue us and protect us um, to be our knight in shining armor? Can men really feel this way if we're aggressive, dominating, demanding? Of course not. Then we're competing with them. Can they feel like our rescuer or our knight when we are passive, indifferent? We have no passion, no confidence, no self-esteem. Of course not. See, we must be assertive and strong, edifying our husbands, affirming their identity, not by constantly tearing them down, but by lifting them up and making them feel like men. See, women often feel that if they submit, that we can't be strong. It causes us to feel weak and sometimes to have some inner conflict, like we're losing control. But once again, that is a lie. <clears throat> In our time of counseling couples, one thing has become very clear to me. That by loving and supporting our husbands, our men, wives have so much more influence on how they feel than they could ever possibly imagine. See, God wants us to be strong in our submission. It takes a truly confident and strong woman to submit to her husband. It's actually a sign of strength, not weakness. Proverbs 31, 25 tells us that she is energetic and strong, a hard worker. Proverbs 31 also tells us that she is clothed in strength and dignity. See, the strength that it took Christ to submit to the cross is the same strength that we can use to submit to our husbands. So women, be strong, be confident so that you can uplift and encourage your husbands. Let him lead, even if you think you can do a better job. It's about believing in them all the time. Early in our marriage, it took me some time to recognize some things that I was saying to Scott and what he was actually hearing. I would say, when is this going to get done? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't this figured out? Etc. What he heard, however, was, you're incompetent. I don't trust you. I don't believe in you, and you're a failure. God actually gave me an opportunity to love him by submitting to my husband. A few years ago, we were coming back from vacation from Ohio, and... Um, we're always in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a shopping expedition, but... Um, Got took a wrong turn, and um, <laughs> we ended up in downtown Chicago. Um, 
three-hour detour. <laughs> but anyway, I was frustrated. I was irritated. And we were fighting. We were fighting. And he just at one point said, would you please just stop coming against me? And just in that moment, I, I felt like God said, submit. This is, this is your opportunity. And so I just put my arm in his and put my head on his shoulder. And it was like that, I could tell. It turned it all around, and he felt competent, and it just absolutely blessed the rest of our trip. Another opportunity, not long ago, I, uh, to maybe I got it right this time, God, I just was reflecting in our, in our home, and I was just thinking about Scott, and I, I, just, I just, honey, thank you for being a godly man. Thank you for being a righteous, godly man. And um, I just really wanted to bless his spirit, and I really feel like I wanted to set a, a bar for him. I wanted to encourage him. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it did. It really did. Uh, the neat thing about it was, was when she said that, the Holy Spirit came and said, are you? See, it wasn't her trying to judge me or figure it out. She allowed God to do that. It reminds me of uh, a counseling time I had with a wonderful lady who, uh, God bless her, she's went on to be with the Lord, but she came in to see me one time and she asked me, she said, I'm having some issue with my, my husband. I want to talk about it. I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, he's not doing what he needs to do. He's not leading the family right. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. He's failing in this area. I said, well, what are you doing about that? She said, I'm telling him. I said, well, how's that working? She said, it's not. I said, then stop. Stop telling him that. See, what came apparent to me, God was showing me, is that she was setting the bar way low. So he had nothing to live up to. He had no standard to achieve. So I encouraged her. I said, set the bar high, honey. Tell him he is these things, even when he might not be there yet. Encourage him. Believe in him, even before he gets there. And in doing that, he has something to inspire to. And that really made a difference. So true godly women and godly wives need to realize that it's not always about having our needs met. It's about encouraging and lifting up our husbands, edifying them. You see, sometimes it's not about top down, it's bottom up. Amen. Amen. In the word under final judgment... It speaks this out of Matthew 25, 40. And this is Jesus talking. And the king answered them, Truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Sometimes I don't think we really understand the implications of that scripture. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, listen, guys. However you treat anybody, the words you say to people, the actions you take to people, it doesn't matter if it's your spouse, it doesn't matter if it's your children, your parents, your co-workers, the people at church. However you speak and treat anybody, you're doing directly to me. And the least of these is truly your wife, your husband, your children. We'd like to show you a video now. Um, John Piper is the man that's speaking on the video. And we truly believe that this video really captures everything 
we were trying to say today about marriage and about relationships in general. But first, I want to share a scripture with you. This is out of Romans. Romans 8, 28, 29. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he knew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's take a look. Most of the time, who's not only not compatible with you, but is weak, tremendously weak, in the very areas where you would most want them to be strong. Now, why does he do that? I'll tell you why. Remember our text, Romans 8, 28 and 29. What is the goal of everything God does in his providence for his children? To conform them to the image of Christ. Now, when you think of the image of Christ, what are some characteristics that just automatically spring to the forefront? Well, for me, three. Unconditional love. Mercy. Grace. If, if, if I could pick out three things in which they told me, you can imitate Christ in these. That, that's what I'm thinking about. Unconditional love. Mercy. And grace. Now, that's some things I want to just go ahead and read that I've written out so I'll get them right. Let me ask you a few questions. How would you ever learn unconditional love if you were married to someone who met all the conditions? Question. How would you ever learn mercy, patience, long-suffering, heartfelt compassion, if you were married to someone who never failed you, who was never difficult with you, who never sinned against you, who was never slow to acknowledge their sin or ask for forgiveness. How did you ever learn grace to pour out your favor on someone who did not deserve it if you were married to someone who was always deserving of all good things? You see that?
So the male and female spirit desires the same thing as their creator. Love and freedom. When husbands and wives submit to one another through this loving and sacrificial love, it frees the other one up to do the same thing back and so forth and so forth. So husbands, men, you give more. So wives, women, you give more. So husbands, you support and encourage her dreams and her passions. So wives, you support and encourage his dreams and his passions. So husbands, you apologize first. So wives, you apologize first. So husbands, you ask for forgiveness first. So wives, you ask for forgiveness first. So husbands, you put your wives, your children, your marriage, and your family before you. So wives, you put your husbands, your children, and your family and marriage before you. A great pastor that pastors a mega church down in Georgia names Andy Stanley. And Andy and his wife were on a program some time ago. I think it was Joyce Myers I was watching. And they were talking about marriage. And him and his wife said this. They said, marriage should sound like this. You first. No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. You remember that question at the beginning of today's sermon where Amy asked? The question about the chicken and the egg. She asked, what came first? The chicken and the egg. I got another question. What comes first? The chicken or the egg? All I know is this. God's given me three spirits. Just three. And he's asked me to love them. He's given me my beautiful wife, Amy, and two beautiful boys, Scotty and Matt. He's asked me to do one thing, just one, to love them, to give them everything, to give them the best of me, best that I have forever and ever and ever. So whether you're a husband or a wife, a parent, a friend, a co-worker, it doesn't matter. How many spirits did God entrust you with? And what are you going to do with them? To them. To Him. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.